So welcome to the Tech Talk Show. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Steve. How are you? Uh, great. Yeah, great. Great week. Um, join us on the show. We've got Sophie High from Plotto. Hi, Sophie. Hi. And we've got uh, Patrick Stoob, Stobbs. Sorry, Patrick. And Patrick's from Duke Deck. Welcome. Uh, hello. And also we've got Seb Hare from ProFinder. Hello. Hi, guys. We're just going to have a couple of news stories, Dan, first yeah, of all. Yeah. So come uh, on, what have you got um, for me? Are we going to mention that we're um, in a new studio this week? No. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Okay, moving on. No, we are. <laughs> We've got a new studio, new microphones, and more importantly, I'm not touching the buttons anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's chance a disaster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Anyway, come on, what you got for me? Yeah, so um, um, Apple believes that the, more than half of their contact list t- um, payment tills available in the UK have no limit whatsoever. So, right. so part of the Apple Pay um, a system uses a biometric identifier, so limitless um, payments have been possible um, over the normal contactless pay limit. Um, but yeah, so so there's you know unlimited pay um, payment availability across. Because obviously, some of them contactless is what is it, fifteen, eighteen pounds? I think thirty. Like is it thirty quid? Yeah. yeah. Do you guys use? contactless much yeah all the time yeah, yeah. mine doesn't work on my it's gone so <laughs> it can go yeah um would anybody else use apple pay though no. i'm too scared to yeah i am as well yeah i was a bit unsure whether to to use it i put it on my watch and then it all got a bit complicated so panicked I took it off took it off yeah. I, yeah i really like it sometimes if i'm sniffing out the shops to get a few bits and pieces i'll just take my phone and and yeah just don't need to take anything do you else. still use cash um in I the pub yes yeah. i love cash <laughs> i always have cash my father-in-law loves the reddies yeah i've been to the cash machine yeah no my daughter looks at me i said i've got to get some cash he goes what Cash. Have you got any change the other day? I said, yeah, of course I have. <laughs> anyway, um, I've got a story. $5 LED rechargeable light. Wow. Been designed and it's been on trial in Africa for some time, actually. And it can be used as a stand-up light on its own, mm-hmm. head torch or as a bike torch. And, of course, that can have a, a massive uh, improvement for people's lives. So it's a big issue. And bringing the cost down to $5 puts it firmly in uh, in a good range for people. Yeah, didn't understand. Some people are living on three hundred fifty, uh, yeah, three hundred fifty dollars a year. Uh, that's their sum total of spend. Incredible. So bringing it down to that ca- that price point is actually uh, really really good. Oh, so yeah, and amazing. it's out there designed and it's going to go to market shortly. It's been done by charity and by a commercial company, which is really good to see that uh, two two entities are coming together to actually help people. So that's great. Fantastic. Anyway, Dan, yeah. let's go to our first guest. So Check Sophie. Yeah. From Plotto. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So tell us uh, tell us how you came to develop Plotto and what it does. So um, Plotto is a video survey tool um, that okay. should allow you to do better research. Um, traditionally, if you wanted to do a survey, you'd go and talk to lots of people one by one, um, or you'd send out a survey and they would respond, uh, ticking boxes and typing in their answers. Um, Plotto takes that to the next level. You can still do those traditional survey questions, but people also record a video response. So you get to see their faces, you get to hear their their words, you get to hear them tell their story in their own way. Now, I've seen your website and there's actually some very clever tech sitting behind that, isn't there? Because is it about picking up facial uh, recognition and facial sort of signs as well as just what people are saying? Or is it just solely based around what they say? Yeah, you're right. So one of the problems with doing video surveys before is that you'd end up with loads of footage. um, And we had stories of people kind of with interns locked in cupboards for 50 hours, watching it back to back, (laughs) scribbling on a bit of paper that interesting things happen after three minutes or whatever. So um, 
we've got a variety of tools um, that help you analyze the video that you get. Um, there's keyword theme analysis, so you can see what the most popular words used were. So maybe you can see some trends that are coming out or you can get straight through to the content that you're looking for. We've got sentiment analysis, so it just classifies a bit like a traffic light, positive, negative, neutral on the words that are said. And then exactly as you just said, there's facial emotion analysis. So a snapshot from the videos taken every three seconds. Um, and then the expression is analysed against the standard eight expressions, which are meant to be universally expressed. Um, and a score is given to those. So in theory, you could go straight to the people that maybe have got a positive sentiment and are expressing happiness. Or you might be looking where there's a discord between their facial expression uh, and, and the sentiment and their words that yeah. they say. So it should help you get kind of better truth. Because Dan's only used to one facial <laughs> thing. And that's, that's normally disappointment. Oh, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what most yeah. people yeah. express to him when he's yeah. looking at them. Yeah. And rejection. Yeah, oh, yeah. rejection yeah. as well. Yeah, so disappointment. Um, <laughs> How hard has it been to join up the facial bit with the, the spoken word and try to correlate that? must be quite difficult. Yeah, I think we're still in the early days for that. I mean, um, Plotto, I would say that it's, you know, being able to use tools like this is a great um, advancement in allowing you to analyse stuff, but they won't replace people yet. So what they do is signpost the interesting content for a person to go through mm. and look at. They're never going to be able to analyse it black and white um, as a standalone tool. Um, so you're right, sometimes you get a discord and sometimes you get um, a correlation, yeah. um, but it, it takes a person to interpret what that really means. Yeah. Okay. And, and do you see that um, sort of this way of surveying, you'll, you'll have the traditional survey where people are just asking, answering, ask, answering questions and then having a video element, or do you see that this video element could actually take away... Um, the question answering, you know, people just yes or no's mm -hmm. completely. Um, I think you need both. I mean, Plotto has both on its platform anyway, mm. so it is an integrated survey tool. Um, and there's some questions, you know, yes and no, um, or demographic questions or some of those more factual things that ticking a box is is fine for. But there's other things where you want to capture people on video. Maybe it's more in-depth questions, something where you want to catch someone in the moment. They've just used a product. They've just had a shopping experience, etc. Um, or you may want to share that footage afterwards and, and be able to, to tell that story. But I definitely think there's a role for both and the different user cases. So does it does it help actually uh, using video to pose the questions or prompt the uh, the surveying of the individual? Do you use that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, again, it's a, based on the user cases, but there are um, definitely times where having a real person ask that question yeah. can really help. It's a human-to-human -human mm. interaction. The, the business is putting a face to, to, to themselves um, and making it a lot more personal. Um, also useful if you want to demonstrate a task. We have quite a lot of the um, people that use our platform actually play a video up front to get feedback on so it might sure. be an ad they're planning on running on the tv yeah. and you can just play that up front so there's lots of different ways that you can use that video yeah i mean i don't know about anybody else but i get so fed up with could you just give us some feedback and then you're there for five to ten minutes actually filling out a survey which is just a question-based one it can i hate the text ones when they text yeah you. yeah, yeah. i feel like saying leave me so. alone what about you guys do you feel the same yeah, I mean, we do a lot of surveying um, with with our product, and you know, the majority of it's like a timestamp, and it'd be much better to actually understand what people are thinking, look like their interactions, because yeah. people just kind of put what you want to hear half yeah. the time. Yeah, I do just to get rid of it. I'm, I must admit, <laughs> I do that. Yeah, it, it's incredibly hard to get objective feedback from people. People, uh, people lie to you. They won't tell you what they're actually thinking. So I think to we are you, British after yeah, all. Most exactly. Of the we don't want to, we don't want to be nasty. So yeah. if if there's technology which can allow us to kind of dig deeper beneath the surface and actually understand what they are thinking, uh, that sounds incredibly helpful. So how did you come about the idea? How did that come come start? How did the company? Um, so the founders had already. Um, 
uh, developed the video tool itself, the video platform. So the technology was there. Um, and when I joined them, um, I worked through potential user cases for it um, and then um, developed the product specifically for market research. I mean, video is the way of the world now. I mean, mm. every media company is launching a video um, yes. component and technologies yeah. enabling um, things like Plotto to happen. So it was the right time. Um, and, you know, it fits the perfect user case with market research. And that, and how easy is it being to, because, you know, mo most companies, when they get it, do a, re, um, a survey, they'll then have a nice load of graphs and, and, and you know, display way, ways of displaying that information. How do you convert the, the video data into sort of um, quantifiable um, reports, what have you? Um, so, I mean, you can do that. You can download. Also, all the video gets transcribed, so you have the text as if it was a free text entry yeah. field anyway. Um, and all of that can be downloaded from the platform, as can their responses to the survey questions. So you can do your normal bullet points and graphs, but the mm. whole point, I guess, of the video platform is that you've got the real people who responded to the survey mm. telling it in their own words. So you can create a showreel on the platform, so take the, the little nuggets, the interesting two-second here, five-second there, weave them together into a, into a story and use that to communicate the key points that came out in the research. So the two things sit side by side. Mm. And I assume that helps marketeers or whoever feedback to the client in terms of the immediate impressions and some of the underlying trends is that how exactly i mean I, as i understand it clients are asking their research agencies for video i mean everyone expects to get video and and to see it firsthand especially when people are time poor and can't always go to the focus groups and go out and, and see the surveys in action themselves so um yeah it's definitely useful. and it must be an incredible cost saving over you know running hundreds and hundreds and hours of video and trying to distill that down into something yeah, that's it. I mean, it's you know, you don't have to go out and interview those people. They're self-recording. They're doing it on their their phones using just it's browser-based, um, and then the the system sort of yeah allows you to get straight to the interesting bits. The man hours are cut right down. So, yeah. so obviously, it's really important to make sure you're focusing on the right group when you're testing, you know, market opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you going to go to the the fifty plus type group? Yeah. You know, can it apply to them? Can it be used there? It can actually. Yeah, I mean, we're not in the business of finding the people to respond no, to your survey no, for you. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, the users that that do that. Um, I've been surprised how comfortable people are with using video. Actually, I mean, one of the things when we first launched it is whether people would be reticent to to show themselves. And um, I think people, you know, I talk on Skype to my mum all the time. She's used to a video app, um, and you know, we've seen girls with towels around their heads sat in their bedroom chattering away we've had a girl with like a face face mask on like you know poor strips across her nose last summer the number of topless men i watched on video in like nice. surveys because they're just they're in their own lounge even though they can see themselves on the screen when it's recording they feel comfortable um, and they're not at all self-conscious and that's across all ages so and i think people just get more and more used to it with time as well You've seen Dan in the summertime, haven't you? No, oh. no. I'm not going to request it now. <laughs> no, don't. No, no, no. <laughs> Believe don't. me, mate. Yeah, face and body for radio, eh, mate? <laughs> you are really kind, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. We've come on a day out, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we so, have, yes, one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just wondering, where do you think it will go next? Where do you, where will you develop the So, two ways. I mean, I think in market research, it's... it's um, it's just going to grow and grow. I think it will become the norm over the next few years. Um, but I do think there are other uses for it. Um, I mean, um, for more marketing purposes, testimonials, customer feedback, customer complaints. How much better would it be able to rant on video than having to fill in a form? Um, so um, user guides anywhere where you want to share knowledge. Um, we've got um, a pilot running with a media company 
who um, are gathering um, sort of video testimonials from from um, people of their personal stories to bring it together into one big um, journalistic story. So I think there's lots of different user cases for video capture and video analysis. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how how can uh, um, how can companies uh, use this technology? Is there a way they can add it onto their website or anything yeah. like that? There's two different ways. It works as a standalone platform. Um, so it's literally you just log in with an email address and get going. Um, or um, we have um, widgets or APIs. So you can, if you're already running a survey um, or a community on another platform, you can just embed the video um, elements into your existing platform. Yeah. Um, so it seamlessly looks like it's part of your your existing survey. That's fantastic, isn't it? Really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And where can we go to get more information? Tell us. Um, so two places. The main website is plotto.com. Um, yeah. P L O T T O dot com. Um, and our Twitter feed is always useful as well. Plotto UK. And that's available on any device, handheld or or PC. For the survey recipients, it works across all devices, so yep. mobile, tablet, laptop. Um, for the business user, it is better on a on a laptop or computer. So you can see and get. Yes, yeah, so you've got a big detail. dashboard with the videos and all the filtering so, tools. Yeah. And is it so the client can determine exactly what they want to see in terms of feedback of data, and it's all drawn together onto a. A common dashboard it's all in a single dashboard so that's one of the the great things is you haven't got lots of video files yeah, everywhere they're all there imagine. in one single view yeah. you can filter down either on their survey responses or the um the more advanced tools that we just mentioned fantastic sophie thank you so much for joining us it's been great and i know you're going to stick around for the rest of the show and well, thank we'll you. talk a little bit more about marketing later but dan it's that time i'm excited and we are going to go to unboxing we are So, Dan, here we go. Here we we've got, uh, we've actually got a new box, but it's still got the lovely cover. Um, obviously, this will go out on YouTube and on uh, Facebook. It's at Tech Talk Show UK on Twitter. So come and join us and listen in and view in uh, as producer Danny is operating the camera today. Yes. So oh. we have... Classy um, packaging. We're going to chuck the box on the floor. Um, yeah. I'm not filled with um, with a great deal. I know. Of we all know where that's come from. It's in a, China. Um, yeah, come. It's in a plastic sleeve. Throw that away. Okay, yeah, go, go. Right. Okay. Oh, what have we got? We've it's, got a key finder. Great. Okay. It looks like the packaging came from the 1980s, <laughs> uh, <laughs> along with uh, it's got silver block printed <laughs> lettering, yeah. which is absolutely awful. Oh, I quite like that. What do you think of that, fair. Sophie? It looks like a simple Simon from the time. <laughs> <laughs> the 80s reference, I think. Yeah, it is a bit. Anyone weird, enamoured so. by the packaging so far? Patrick, would you? Uh, would that make you buy? Um, it looks like it's for a golfer. Um, it looks like something you, you should attach to your golf clubs. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. not, not, not wowed. I, said, I thought it looked like chocolate, so I was a little bit upset. I <laughs> well, I thought it looked like my first painting kit. You know where you get the sort of bowl of water and everything else? That is absolutely shocking. Yeah. There okay. wasn't a lot spent on that this week, was there? Well, it's probably our train tickets or something. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. So, so we've then. opened the box. So it's, okay. let me just describe it to everybody. Mm. It's sort of about uh, hand width tall, and it's got a clear plastic section on the front of it. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> dire. It's got some um, symbols and pictures on the bottom. Let me just have a look. You have a look at those. So, um, And on the back oh, it on. says how to use... Well, we'll throw that away. We'll probably refer that to once Dan can't actually get it working. 
Well, so, oh, okay. And it's called Key Finder. Find lost items with just one press on the button. So there's um, four um, different coloured um, uh, fobs that are in the in the pack. Um, it looks like a, a mini remote control with um, four different co uh, coloured keys or key coloured keys, I suppose. Yep. Um, and, and it looks like the little remote control has a little st a stand for it as well. So you can pop it in the yeah, corner. So that's, that's really right. useful. They thought so of that. So if we pass that round. Yep. Have a look at that. Um, so um, with the f um, in within the pack, there's some um, key rings um, and some sticky pads, um, and there's a um, and they have put in a battery. In oh, sorry, that's me. Oh, that's all right. Pushing the it works. <laughs> so um, it works. looks like Danny's got here ahead of us and put one of the batteries in one of the fobs. Good. Uh, and we've just heard that it works. Okay. What do people think? I think it's a good idea. Have a look, have there's a, look at the there's a few of these that come out the market now, yeah. isn't there? And um, it, it's a good idea. I wonder what the range is. Whether um, if you've left uh, them in the park, it says on the box home. thirty meters. Thirty, 30 meters. I mean, it's for people who mislay them in the house. Then yeah, it's bigger. It's bigger than my actual keys. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So it's not too heavy. Though. So according to this, we can only afford one battery. <laughs> so it's that. That's the only one that is, which is the red one. So it says on the back of the box, attach um, the colour-coded receivers to your frequently lost items with the key <laughs> rings or double-sided adhesive tape. So, yeah, okay. Uh, press and release the corresponding colour-coded button on the transmitter. If the receiver is in range, 30 metres, it will beep and meanwhile the LED indicator will flag. See, they should have gone for numbers because if you're colourblind... Yeah, that's not going to work, is it's it? It's not going to be very good, no, is it? No, P particularly if it's red green colourblind, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Also, um, if they're more than thirty metres away, no good. If no beep is heard, change your location or use new batteries. <laughs> bit late, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too late. Yeah. Um, so, what sort of things could you use them for in the house? So, keys well, are obviously I... rubbish, aren't they? Maybe we add them to the pet Fitbit. Yeah, yeah. put it find on the your pet. cat. Yeah, find your cat. Wallet, stick it in your wallet. Yeah. It's oh, going to be, yeah. Small child. Find your cash. Small child. You could that attach be... it to a child, I suppose. That's... Ruin your hide and seek game. Uh, <laughs> phone. I'm always losing my phone. And you're, it's always on silent. Your glasses. My glasses. He's always losing his glasses. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and they're small enough to attach to your glasses. Yeah, no one would I notice. I wouldn't look self-conscious with those on. <laughs> um, okay, so there's not much more you can say about it, that, really, is there? Um, um, well, no. I think it's probably the largest fob I've ever seen in my life. Would you have those on your keys? Um, I am also of the opinion that it's bigger than my keys, so um, not entirely convinced. Also, I just, I just feel like your keys are either on you or in the key place. Like, just yeah, it's unnecessary. Yeah. I, I like that. So you, you can get Bugbear the. Bear mind this. <laughs> I like I like the um the sort of you know the RFI um the um Bluetooth sort of connector ones yeah. you can get and they, you know, they have a number of different makes now and your your phone will alert if you've gone away from your keys or whatever. Um, that doesn't stop my girlfriend from still forgetting hers, but um, that's by the by. But um, it's amazing um, that this is really um, useless. I yeah I can't really see the point. Well I can see the point, but. Yeah, that's not very annoying, Dan, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's do that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the first thing is, how much oh, yeah. would you think that retails for, Dan? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say uh, seven pounds ninety nine. Seven pound ninety nine, Sophie. 
I think you're about right. It's sort of secret Santa kind of territory, isn't it? So it's going to be under a tenner. I'm going to go, yeah, for about a tenner. Okay. Patrick? Yeah, please don't tell me it's more than a tenner. Okay, so... <laughs> 349. 349. Always discounted. Always on a discount. I like his thinking. I really do. 349. So we have a um, a common question to ask everyone, don't we? Hang on a second. Oh, okay. I haven't said, Dan. You're rushing. (laughs) I would say that that is more than 10 quid. I reckon that's 12 pounds odd. 1249. You've got this, haven't you? This is a. I reckon I've got that. <laughs> is this Christmas last year? This was. This is. Or, or you bought it as a present for yeah. someone. The thing is, I can't wait to take it home with me. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. So. The question go. we have is does it rock or does it go back in the box? So, Sophie? Box. 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 Yeah, I have to say, even with the special stand. <laughs> I think that's a special special. Is and that does does make it a bit, but no, this goes back in the box and the box gets locked up. Well, and thrown under. Trouble is, you've gone early with that because we need oh. to know how actually how much it. Oh, costs. I did go, didn't I? Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. We'll so, go over it. producer Danny, how much did this fine article cost? Firstly, after those prices, I feel like I've been robbed. Um, it certainly was three forty nine seven, and you do get batteries, and you do get batteries. Obviously, with the uh, with each fob, so you've got four different batteries. Um, it's fourteen fifty. Wow, fourteen fifty. <laughs> so uh, I think there's only one winner in this room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoever Danny um, bought it from. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So back in the box, back in the box, back in the box, back in the box. Definitely, yeah. Definitely back in the box. Fourteen fifty. It's certainly not a secret Santa present, is it? Yeah, you've surpassed yourself, Danny. This is quite incredible. I think it needs a pivot. When I was at university, I used to hide my mate's uh, mobile phone underneath a floorboard and just ring it constantly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think if you actually use this just to annoy people, it'd be quite a little. I reckon it's a great it's toy, a yeah. great, great toy for the office because what you do is you slip one of those in somebody's pocket, somewhere without them knowing, and then you keep pressing that button button <laughs> all the time. And that's going to get really annoying. Just when they're it? going through uh, scanners at the airport. Yeah, that's another one. <laughs> that is brilliant. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. So, yeah, not practical, but it's a toy. Yeah. Anyway. With limited attention. Chuck it away, Danny. Get rid of it for us, mate. So that's another triumph, I have to say. Surpassed yourself. Anyway. So, (laughs) if we don't mind, we can now speak to um, Patrick, um, COO of Duke Deck. Hello. Patrick. Um, Obviously, we've had a little look at Duke Deck and... uh, Music's becoming more and more common for people to mix mix their own, but also to put it to video. So how did you start Duke Deck and how did it come from there? Yeah, um, it, it starts with um, one of my best childhood friends, Ed, who um, is a composer. Uh, right. And in fact, all our company are musicians. Um, and we did a lot of music together all our lives and left university not having a clue about the world, except that we quite wanted to do some music in it. Um, but uh, after a few failed projects, um, we went our separate ways and he um, went off to be in a band and, and compose and happened to, at the age of 23, stumble into a computer science lecture uh, over in America. And mm-hmm. he walked out of that and was like, why did no one tell me about this before? This is this is awesome. Uh, and he decided then and there to teach himself how to code uh, and then okay. apply that to what he knew he was good at, which is music composition. Um, and he began building uh, what Duke Deck is today, which is uh, an artificially intelligent music composer, uh, right. software that writes 
music and adapts it um, by itself. Um, and uh, after about eight months of locking himself uh, up in a bedroom, literally, um, we tried to break in, he wouldn't let us. Um, <laughs> he emerged and showed me this this app, which was this little little thing which you could tap in a few uh, commands to and it would write you an original piece of music. Um, and I was pretty staggered by that and uh, soon quit my job and uh, joined him and we've been going ever since. So um, do you need to say, right, I want mute music, I want inspiring music how does it work yeah we're trying to make it uh, as intuitive as possible um so rather than having to know what a scale and a chord and a rhythm is you you can simply say hey please give me a piece of folk music um and you can go a bit further you can say hey i want it in this mood and i want it to be this long and i right. want it to be this speed um but um you can kind of be as uh, hands-off or as hands-on as you like right and is it true that there's going to, at some point, we'll get to the point where there will, there will not be any original music left <laughs> to be composed? Um, I don't think. Well, will, will there are there a finite number of um, music compositions in the world? Uh, yes, but it's a very large number. I don't think we'll get there anytime soon. Um, but uh, will humans still compose? Absolutely, yes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You, you you go to a Justin Bieber concert, or at least I do. Um, uh, for, 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 <laughs> that's not something I'd ever admit. <laughs> I'm, I'm also, been also quite a Britney a few times. fan. Yeah. Um, for so many more reasons than I suppose just 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 the just the music. You go for the, for the context. You go for the uh, the backstory. You go for their performance. Uh, I, I this is this is uh, I think I think musicians are going to continue to flourish. So I'm intrigued. How does it, how does it work for? So I, I you know you're using an, sort of an AI and an algorithm to to compose music, but how do you then link it up with with sort of a vocal recognition to, for it to know? Okay, we're going to do folk music, or you know, and it has you know, and it has to go this long. Yeah, good, good question. So um, we first of all, uh, it's it's using uh, the the core technology we're using is is um, I suppose you could describe it as machine learning. Mm -hmm. um, essentially, we train algorithms on existing musical pieces, right, existing okay. musical data, and it looks for statistical significances in that data, and from that infers the rules of composition. Okay. Um, like what was going on when a composer wrote those pieces? Um, what decisions were they making? Um, and so for us to then, uh, and it then uses that knowledge to create new pieces of music. Um, so for us to create folk music, we uh, part of what we do is train our, our system on, on folk compositions. Mm. Um, uh, so that is one of the ways in which uh, we produce a certain style. There are a bunch of other things we do as well. So you kind of take your machine learning to school. <laughs> yeah. You like, yeah. And, and you sort of teach it. How long is it so, and you expose it to sort of, you know, um, uh, a range of sort of sex with well, folks music so you know a little bit of folk music uh, how long does it take for it to sort of go okay right i understand folk music now and um it it it, it varies About two I, think, minutes. I, think, I think the answer is it it, it gets better over time and yeah. it, it learns more quickly as it gets better much okay. like a human does sure. like uh, uh, when it when, when our system started out it was pretty slow at learning yeah um and it's got got more quick Got, got quicker um it now takes uh about 30 seconds to write an original piece of music wow. and how complex is the piece of music how um uh, I, I suppose it's subjective like uh again it's got better over time i suppose the way we judge it is who's prepared to use it um right. 
two years ago, I think everyone uh, laughed at it and thought it was a very amusing piece of technology. Now we have brands uh, like Coca-Cola using it in their in their videos. So uh, it seems sophisticated enough for lots of lots of video creators but it, now. It will create music with different instruments and different layers to it yeah it, it, oh in that sense yes so it it, it can compose music in multi-parts um multiple sections uh develop the compositions developed throughout the piece so yes it's it's relatively complex and one of the uses obviously for people who are posting their own videos or creating their own videos is that right correct so um we we interviewed a lot of uh video creators and and they told us pretty loudly that finding music for for videos and actually podcasts and and games is really painful um there are numerous problems with it and expense rights and so forth um so our first sort of product is designed to help them very easily source music for their videos and podcasts and so forth Create or source, um, or both. Both, really. Um, so, as I say, you can be hands off or hands on. Um, some people are in a rush and they simply want a track of music now. But quite a few people really love creating uh, and diving in and sort of really feeling um, like they've got control over the music that that comes out. So, so they spend a lot longer. And do you see that market growing? I mean, I can only, I can only see yeah. it increasing. To be perfectly honest, but yeah, there's some ridiculous statistics like. Um, 600 hours of video is uploaded to YouTube every single minute uh, and that's quadrupled in the last three years and people see it going in one direction so yeah video is the medium by which a lot of people are communicating and increasingly so so yeah we, we see that market uh, continuing on its rocket ship and does it include audio will it does it I mean, will it in terms of a spoken voice or so we haven't focused on that um up until now but it could do um and and there are ways in fact like we've built our system such that it could incorporate audio should you want it to so you could be like the digital stock Aitken waterman sort of <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly <laughs> yeah. brilliant so what happens to the ip or the the copyright of what's produced how so, does that work so um we uh give each user a license uh, rights cleared license to use the music wherever they want it to so, so on any platform in the world in perpetuity so it kind of simplifies that whole ip issue um that can exist in the music world and there's no royalties with that um no if if you go onto our site um you won't uh sort of get any sort of hidden fees or, or anything like that do you think you're missing a trick <laughs> um i i think we've heard pretty loudly that it's a bit of a headache or that that whole royalties game um yeah. and we just want to make it as simple as possible for people so uh yeah uh proof will be in the pudding but but we think it's a, a very good value proposition if you will and so the way your cost model works is people subscribe or is there a way to pay one it, off or you either pay one off for a track that you download and want to use um, or you can subscribe and, and pay a monthly fee for more music and did I read something like there's a million, uh, yeah, what did I read about a million different pieces yeah. of music have been played? Was that something I read? Yeah, we, we, we've had, we've been live about a year and we've had a million tracks created by our users on a our website. A million tracks? Yeah. So quite, quite, a, quite a lot of music. Yeah. Does it ever repeat itself? Does, or does it ever repeat motifs or anything like that? Um, no, it doesn't. It does get increasingly more varied over time mm. as its knowledge of music grows. So when it first started, it only knew a certain amount 
about music as a sure. child composer might. We now see it as a teenage composer. It kind of knows more about different styles and different options available to it. So it kind of gets more varied over time, mm. uh, but it won't repeat itself. Yeah, really and are you feeding it different music or different styles as you go forward? Yeah, we're, we're continually updating it um, and and teaching it more um, and it's learning more by itself. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it will get more sophisticated and uh, hopefully a better composer over time. <laughs> I mean, we um, we talked to lots of tech companies and this is for all, all three of you, really. We talked to a lot of tech companies who design something, develop something. And then all of a sudden it goes to a completely different market they didn't think ever existed or thought that, that would apply. And could you ever see that happening to yours? Can you? Well, yeah, one of the interesting things is that music is used in so many different situations, yeah. uh, like not just videos, not just podcasts, games. You've got music in retail environments, people listening to music, obviously. And I think each of those markets, um, well, we, we have something to offer each of those markets and, and we've, we get inbound requests in each of those markets so i could certainly see us uh expanding into those into those different situations yeah sophie what about you can you see yours being applied anywhere else yeah the technology I, mean, I think that's the modern way isn't it the yeah. whole kind of lean startup trends and all that like take it to market um but be flexible and make sure you're getting that feedback and you're listening so that you can yeah take it in those different directions so to compress and edit video is a huge time-consuming headache yeah Whereas you're actually doing some of that by sampling yeah. a little bit, aren't you? Which is yeah, yeah, exactly. I do think it will end up in a completely different place yeah. to where we are now. I think yeah. that is the expectation for everyone. It's just the time yeah. it takes to, to move its little path. Because it's like a Vox Pops type thing where you're just yeah. compression comments into a very short yeah. segment. Seb, what about you? Uh, we actually pivoted in the early days. So right. we've had one change and we've got a core focus at the moment, but we've already got two or three markets that we're beginning to develop on the side that we think we'll probably end up focusing yeah. on in the future. Yeah, no, it can be really yeah. so. I'm so, um, so just, cool. just thinking about um, uh, the use of music. So uh, I guess your application is um, people are using the music to capture a certain uh, mood that they're trying to portray in, in the video or, or that, you know, they're a bit of... Um, bit of media they're using but um it can also influence people's feelings as well kind of and, and their mood to, and their sort of you know how happy they are with something so potentially it could be used when people are running their questionnaires yeah. <laughs> you could, uh, uh, you could you, we're trying to influence yeah. them to give more positive feedback yeah. by playing a really happy yeah. tune yeah, yeah. yeah. music is That's called is, advertising isn't it really? it's true like music is provably an incredibly powerful influencer on on the human state um it can make you do things it can it can help you in different situations so i mean music is used in in healthcare to calm patients down before operations and mm. things like that. So that's actually yeah, a whole other area which we're interested in uh, and we think this could be really helpful in. Yeah. Well, no, it sounds like great tech and um, I'm really intrigued to where you think it will go in the future. That's that's the thing. Yeah, um, I, I suppose our our mission is, is, is to personalise music to every situation. So, um, uh, and that can encompass a variety of markets. But essentially, if we're providing sort of the perfect soundtrack to lots of different situations, uh, be that in video, be that in games, be that in healthcare. That's that's what will make us happy. And how long's the longest bit of music you've been able to create so far, or it's been uh, able to create so far? Only because we put a block on it, uh, five minutes. But um, uh, we could quite easily lift that block. Um, it, it could keep on going. <laughs> and what's and what's the simplest music to create, or, um, and the hardest one? The simplest music to create is probably ambient music or 
um, ambient music because it uh, can can just be a, wish, a lot of wishy-washy sounds to people. Or some say jazz because there are no wrong notes in jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because so, what I was wondering is, is um, could could it? Because we've recently seen that um, they've used um, computers and AIs to um, to write um, scripts for films. Well, could could this then, if you t- you know told it what was happening in the film, it could then soundtrack. One of these films. In fact, maybe a partnership with Plotter here, like a- analyzing what's going on in a video and then automatically composing a, a score. That I'm that is going to happen one day soon. Mm. Um, Imagine if it did it in real time. You literally yeah. could have your own soundtrack playing. Basically. Well, yeah. doesn't that happen in Bridget Jones's diary, <laughs> where all of a sudden the music <laughs> starts up or the commentary behind her and she can hear it herself? Have you not seen that? <laughs> Obviously not seen that film. I think you're alone in this room. This. I am. I'm the only one that watches Bridget Jones's Diary. Dan, you've seen it. I can promise you I have. But no, you could have. You could have your own your own soundtrack, couldn't you? Yeah, very much. And I, I think the idea of giving everyone a, their own soundtrack to certain pieces of content or certain experiences uh, appeals to to a lot of people we talk to. So uh, we certainly see it going in that direction. Well, best of luck, and yeah. Uh, yeah, really interesting to hear about it, and I, I'll, I'll look on to see how it develops in the future. So yeah, thank I'm you. Take yeah. Yep. Great, thanks for joining us. So, last on the show, but not least, we've got, um, we've, I've got to get my glasses on. It's Seb Hare from ProFinder, Seb. So, welcome. Thank you for coming to the show. Oh, thank you for having us. Tell us a little bit about what you do and the product you've got. Yeah, so ProFinder is an expertise exchange. Uh, so for those who don't know what that means, effects we work with large organisations. We drop a platform into the organisation that maps out what people know and who they know. And effectively, we, we also use a bit of machine learning. So it basically um, creates CVs on every individual by sucking up all sorts of data, listening and learning and understanding what a person knows and who they know. And then we use some algorithms that whatever question you have, it tells you who knows the answer. So it's kind of like a LinkedIn meets Match.com meets Google okay. all got together and had a dirty love child. <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> clever, though. Yeah. It, it... Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I'm so, so Roger, who's the founder, so I met him eight years ago and talking about the, the pivot and how things can change. So he actually originally had the concept of a, an external talent pool. So if you want to find a plumber in London, who's the best plumber? And a, rate, a bit like people per hour. Yeah. And I, I met Roger about nine, actually it was 10 years ago now. And I was like, oh, I'm not convinced. I'll, I'll come and do my thing. This sounds amazing. And I was actually in recruitment for my sins at the time and uh, got him the job as head of innovation at an agency. And this moment in time came in where this massive bid came in and there was nine people in the room. It was worth like £100,000 or he yeah. says it's like a million pounds. Yeah. And he suddenly realised there's, there's literally 20,000 people in this agency. Surely someone's going to know more about this than me. And that was that moment, that pivot moment where we went, sure. ah, this isn't external, this is, this is internal. Internal, yeah. And that was about um, four years ago. So I, I came on board full time at that point, joined and uh, helped co-found it. And we've been going then, but we've got like a funded journey. So we've raised, you know, got a couple of VCs involved, raised, you know, several millions. And um, so it's, a, it's an interesting growth journey we're on. And um, I've, I've worked in various organisations, huge organisations, and where you form a project team or a you know, development team, what tends to happen is you go to, oh, yeah, I know somebody or somebody else knows somebody else. And it can get a little bit too closed in and you're not getting perhaps the skills and the expertise you need to take something forward. Now assume that your your system would really help that. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple of things to it because I think you've got so people. Everything's about people. So if you could have a, a little red button that told you everything everyone knows in your business, that that's valuable as a starting point. Yeah. And then you've got like the cultural piece to your point around like silos and protecting knowledge. And then you've got just just because someone said they know something, are they the right person to know? 
And then you've got the like reward mechanic feedback. So you've got all this stuff going on. And all you really want to do is get rid of all that noise and say, right, I just want that one person. So the right person at the right time for the right problem. So we call it kind of manufacturing serendipity, really. Yeah. And so how do you go about capturing this information? Yeah. So the good news is that um, technology has advanced so much. There are so many systems in a company. So, I mean, email pretty much has all your tacit thoughts. Anything that you've been documenting sits there. You then got like things like CRM, um, HR software, all these various data sources. So assuming we can lock into some of that as a starting point, and it's very much similar to, to, the, to the products here where it uses machine learning to start to learn and understand. And much like Google 10 years ago wasn't as advanced as it is now, the minute you drop it into the company, it has a baseline understanding, and then it self-validates and understands and starts to recognize what your people know, their language, the commonality. And in the back end, it's based on ontology, um, which basically means it's just a self-learning engine that understands phrases and keywords and the relationship. So over time, you build out a complete unique view of your business and what your people know. So you will be picking up on keywords and phrases that someone uses either in an email, in written documents or whatever else, so their day-to-day activity across the organization. And then that would distill that down into like that person is involved in this, this, and this. And that's yeah, how it works. In some ways, yeah. So you've kind of got lots of different data points. So one example could be the written words. So it's a free text analysis I write, and it starts to understand that I've mentioned HSBC. Therefore, maybe I know something about HSBC. But because of the back end, it goes, well, that's in finance. And maybe that means that you know about you know digital Bitcoin and so on and so forth. So it's consistently just understanding the relationships between keywords yeah. and building out that graph. Yeah, I was just wondering... It- what sort of does it work equally well for all sizes of organization or where you've got a small organization that might you've got lots of people doing lots of the same sort of things so the knowledge is well spread that you know it's only going to keep returning the same people isn't it I yeah suppose. well i think there's yeah there's a couple of points to that i think from an actual technical perspective you need about 250 for it to start having that uniqueness and understanding mm-hmm. for, for the data point but in terms of the the human mind i mean we're pretty good at knowing 10 people really well but if my challenge always is, can you, your best 10 mates in the workplace, can you tell me everything they've ever done and everything they've ever known? Probably not. <laughs> then when you get to 150, you just got a bit hazy with faces and names. So you, you kind of, you don't have to have a massive size company to, to realize the potential of it. But then also I think, and this is to your question earlier around, you know, do you change your product destination? At the moment, we're focusing mainly on the internal, but you've got alumni, you've got contingent, you've got communities, networks, you've got all this kind of outside knowledge that at some point you might want to tap into. So you know, I think if you're a 150 person company, that's great. But what about all the, the, the kind of second generation contacts that might be useful to you? And, and how can we tap into that? Or to the example around, cha- you know, charity meets commercial earlier, you know, can we start to look at um, bridging the gap between education and commerce and, and, and those types of scenarios? So how much different is it from LinkedIn in a way? What, what you know, that's... Oh, I love that question. I well, well I mean, I'm not a great lover of LinkedIn, I have to say. I, you know, so, so LinkedIn's I try I mean, not to use it, I can avoid it. But yeah. well, I mean, there's a good point in that. What, what we've just said, that, I mean, LinkedIn's amazing, right? Because without it, people wouldn't have felt comfortable publishing their knowledge externally, and it's it's safe to do that. But it's just one data point. It's usually not 100% accurate. There's limited information on it. It's public information, not private information. So all the stuff that happens behind closed doors, you're not going to capture. Also, it's, it's, it's based on search. And what I mean by that is I have to roughly know what I'm looking for. So it's a keyword. If I'm looking for M&A and I tap in M&A, I find someone who knows that. ProFinder uses basically free word analysis. So we don't care what you're looking for. We just want to know your problem. And it's clever enough to work out what you're looking for. So it's using matching technology. So it's a much more relevant search and based on what you need and not what you're looking for, if that makes sense. Because I know somebody that's on LinkedIn and they were literally sales, but they put down rocket engineer 
and somebody in three people endorsed that yeah, but yeah obviously yeah. he wasn't but and it's because it is self-populated as well isn't it it's yeah a bit, it's a bit open to um, generosity yes yes rather yeah i think that's a, a fair term really yeah i mean i, th- I think it, as anything it's just one data source that's useful and i think in the open market it's, it's definitely a good starting place but it's just the next it's just the next journey the next evolution of it so maybe linkedin on steroids is what we should be called <laughs> now i know you've gone to quite a few, few large companies now and you, as clients how did that sort of step forward take place and how did you get from where you were as a an idea to pivot then to get to them what were the lessons that you learned so i think i think there's kind of two parts to it one is um if you're going to pitch to the world's largest organizations you've got to be able to survive cash flow so our sales cycles can be anything from a short sales cycle of six months to what we're just closing at the moment which is three years on for one of the world's largest consultancies so to survive that with the talent you need you just have to have cash in the bank so I think we you've you've got to try and win some um, brands early on with you know no commercials around it perhaps to get in through the door. Once you've got those in, you can go raise cash, and it's all around valuations because obviously you've got to try and look at how do you not dilute, how do you bring the right people in. So I think just runway and cash flow. So the more money you can raise earlier at the right times. So we had then had to stagger it. So in the early days when it was like real classic angel stuff, you're going to give away I don't know twenty percent, fifteen percent to like a thirty grand check. Fast forward where we are now, and you give you know we're giving away twenty percent to a five million pound check. So it's just how do you balance that? And therefore, when do you give stuff away for free? When do you have to value what, what your services are? And I think affiliates and, and signing up to clever people that know more than you. So we have advisors and board directors that come in who've you know sold 900 million pound companies who have been on the board of you know Bountiful BT, whatever it may be, and sit there in the room with you. Um, I mean, that is really important, isn't it? I don't know if either of your companies are, are looking at that in terms of how you bring people on board to support your company. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think I think um, external advisors bring both credibility, uh, obviously, but but really key advice at, at the right moments. Um, like, how do you price a, a a deal to a massive company when it's one of your first customers? You might actually really want to just get this deal over the line and offer them a, a cheap deal, and and things like that, which you just may not have the expertise in. So yeah, we we certainly value our advisors hugely. Yeah, Sophie. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, using the right people for the right bits of knowledge, whether it's the industry knowledge or, or the business model or the, the sales expertise or the marketing. I mean, we're a very lean team, but we, we bring in bring in those that know as we need them yeah. um, rather than that having to be a core part of the business. So um, how would you advise companies to use your product and how to get the most out of it? What are the key parts of it? Well, funny enough, we're actually looking at simplifying it. We want to become like the Shazam in the workplace. So it's so intuitive <laughs> that you just kind of tell it what you need and it goes off and does that. So we can make life easier by just plugging into other systems. So if you have a proprietary system like a an email, an Outlook exchange, we'll just plug into that. And then I think it's just about telling people it's, it's there is a bit of culture. It's okay to ask. It's okay not to know everything. So I think if you're if you're a people-based business and you recognize that you know knowledge is useful, and you're and and you're happy to ask a question, then that's what we're trying to advise, and that's how we go down those kind of rollouts. And is it is it just access to the sort of emails that you need, or can it work off like you know can it plug into other um, platforms like CRM or? So, yes, yeah, so, um, I, I do some free branch outs out there, yeah. <laughs> Salesforce, Workday, yeah, LinkedIn, yeah. you know, all, all the typical types of platforms you'd expect to find mm-hmm. in an enterprise or or an SME we'll plug into. But fundamentally, you don't have to do any of that. If you just want to use uh, our profile as a plug and play system, and you're happy to use that platform. As soon as you start writing and, and, and talking to it effectively, it starts to learn from that. So you can have the really kind of convoluted enterprise architecture, or you can just have, I have nothing. I'm happy just to take ProFinder um, and use that. 
And how will ProFinder then get the data it needs to make the decision? That, and that's once again, so you, people are just using ProFinder as the proprietary entry point. So they're writing their questions into ProFinder as opposed to into email. Um, okay. So, you, I mean, the, the, the fact is it's still digital at this point. So you do have to say something. But then, funny enough, we're looking at, you know, video. We're looking at all the various other options around uh, voice recognition. Uh, you know, being in a studio like this, as an example, you know, if you could record this conversation, we can then, you know, um, contextualize that and, you know, make it into kind of some of the data points. That's That's useful. And does it does it store the um, information as an identif- uh, identifiable against the em- employee? I'm just thinking about security implications. Yeah, everything. yeah. So we um, we have a workflow. So it's kind of um, an opt in. So you're it's kind of informed consent. I'm happy for ProFinder to look at this as an example, um, and then we use it as a project workflow. So we don't want we don't want to know if you're talking about cats or if you're you know <laughs> trying to do your personal banking in the workplace or you're slagging someone off because we're just looking at keys that have to do around your workplace <laughs> which no one would ever do no, no never no never. can't wait for dan to leave the room <laughs> <laughs> you usually tell to a face oh to to yeah. to your face yeah but, but that's the key you just want to, so basically we just want to say like what what's your problem at work um and you know if you're looking at a data point you have signed certain t's and c's in the workplace that say your work emails off or work and so you know if you want to go to that granularity you can but you want to avoid all that and just say, look, I've got a work problem. Who can help me? Do you think people at work actually realise how much data is collected about them? Would you? Well, I think they're beginning to. Yeah. Um, so I think I think most people were because you make a trade constantly in your personal life. So I have Google Maps and mm-hmm. I don't have any advertising on Google Maps because I'm happy for it to collect certain data on me. So you're always making that type of trade. And I think now, because of how much, I mean, I have a, an Apple Watch on, I have an iPhone, I have all these various, massive plug for Apple, I have all these various <laughs> things going on that I'm tracking data on. I think in the workplace, people kind of get their head around it. But that's the scary thing. And that's why we're going back to like the LinkedIn comment. That's useful because people go, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to publish it anyway. Or social. I think the scary thing is, once you've been in the workplace, you recognize it. It's the kids coming out of uni going into the workplace. They don't quite understand what they've been caught more on their social aspects that can then get applied into the work where there's mm. a bit of a danger and education needs to happen at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had to deal with quite a few because I came from a public service background and the number of issues we have with people posting inappropriately on social media is huge, actually. And people, they were quite immature, I think, maybe five years ago about what was and wasn't seen or available or could easily be readily searched. And I think that's people are becoming a lot more... I don't know if um, it seems like you know um, younger people aren't actually don't seem to see that it as a threat, and they just seem to post up quite um, publicly. I think. Yeah, even on video though, there's huge amounts mm. of video. There's con- a real blurring between your work life and your personal life with the the different platforms, isn't there? Yeah. And I'm not sure we've quite worked out how to get that balance no. right. No, no. There is something a little uncomfortable about a workplace looking at your personal mm. social. Media and, w- and would yours link into Facebook or uh, we could do, but we choose not to. Or we choose, don't because right. it's not as to your point. It's not a place you spend talking about work really. No, um, so it's not it's not a data source we'd like to look at. So where do you see what you're doing? Obviously, not a pivot anymore, but where? How do you see it going forward? So if the investors are listening, it is purely focused on big <laughs> enterprise corporates. <laughs> but I think I think the goal is well, as Roger Roger um, be happy for me saying this it connects two point one billion people intelligently around the world. So just kind of bridge the gap between all the various sectors. So if you are a charity or a social cause and actually what you're not crying out for money, what you're carrying out is for a skill set and there's someone sat over in a consultancy who could help you, just the ability to connect those people at the right time to solve that problem would be would be what we'd like to get to. And I think a bit like Microsoft, if you have Microsoft and you have Microsoft, we can talk to each other. So how do you start to connect and be that connecting tissue behind the scenes? I think that, that would be the 
the ultimate goal one day. Because online collaboration is a huge area and it's growing all the time, isn't it? People are doing it because they want to or because to try and achieve a real improvement or real good. I mean, your your system can actually really support that, couldn't it? By trying to join the right people up with the right skills to help solve an issue or a problem. Yeah, exactly that. And I think, you know, so you have to get the, for any business to be successful, you have to focus on the market. So the enterprise will always be where we'll figure it out, where we'll learn, where we'll grow and commercialise it. And then outside of that, you can start to join that up to solve real problems and, you know, crisis management. You know, you can look at things like Doctors Without Borders, whatever it may be, people are always trying to connect for expertise to, to solve problems. And the more you can do good with that, I think yeah. the better for everyone. And um, obviously, speaking as someone who's towards the latter end of their life, um, where work <laughs> is not the only thing I've got, um, volunteering and having other interests is a huge part of people's lives going forward. And actually, yours would really, really facilitate that, wouldn't it? Absolutely. We have to, I mean, we have mentorship programs run through. I mean, any use case, really, it's just about matching a person to a person or a person to a project. And you can, yeah. you can layer the use case on it. But one of the big projects at the moment is exactly that with one of the consultancies, which is traditionally every year you would sign up to one or three options for the charities they support. And they're saying, right. well, actually, if you have things that are personal to you and you have interest, why don't we just align that? And when that right cause comes in, and it might be seven times a year or it might be once a year, you get matched to it. So, yeah, exactly right. No, it's great. Yeah, it's um, where, can we, where, where can we get more information? Uh, at www.profinder.com. Okay. So um, we've got a few minutes left, so we're going to talk about a couple of news stories first. But uh, a lot of people that listen in are maybe startup companies who are in the tech field, all like yourselves, but probably um, um, a year or two into their development. What advice would you give them, you know, the three of you around the things you've learned in the first few years of setting up a business and what's really helped you going forward? Sophie. I think your point about pivoting is is key. You can have the best idea in the world, but if everyone else isn't agreeing with you, then it's it's never going to succeed. So I think making sure that you're testing things live in market, that you're getting that feedback loop, you're asking the questions that get under the skin, the real yeah. insight questions, not just the superficial things, but to understand the whys and the yeah. hows. Because we were at um, Croydon Tech Hub last week. There's a uh, It's called Tomorrow Down There, which is a great building and a great place. Hmm. But there's so many companies there and they're, they're so frightened to go to market that they want to get this super developed, over-developed yeah. And product. that's never the way. I mean, no, it's, it's a fine balance test. because yeah. you don't want to put your early adopters off by having something that's substandard. But equally, you don't want to spend forever and, and all your money finessing something that maybe is not right. It's Absolutely. got some functionality that's not yeah. needed or is you yeah. know got the wrong priorities. So, But knowing your market is yeah. a key, key and testing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I totally second that. Talking to to users at every single opportunity and looking for for like we talked about earlier, objective fact rather than um, these sort of subjective or, or they're trying to be nice to you and say, "Oh, your product's wonderful." Just never listen to that. You've got to look for the what they re for what they really mean. Um, second of all, I think around hiring, like in a startup, um, your team is incredibly important um, and hire slowly and, and carefully because you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people. You, you rely on these people an awful lot and just don't don't rush it um, because I, I, that's when uh, mistakes can be made. Um, we had um, a lawyer came in to talk to the show a few weeks ago and he said he, he actually deals quite a lot with founder issues about... <laughs> how to basically it's like a divorce you know how, and his advice was 
never worry about what's in the contract. He said, always worry about how you get out of the contract is the main criteria. <laughs> and that, I suppose, about who you hire, how you hire them. I think the other thing was about how you fund your idea and actually how much you're going to give away mm. is another issue. that, And I don't know how yours came forward with. Yeah, I, I suppose the way we look at it is it's 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 better to um, the the worst thing that can happen is you run out of money. Um, so uh, when when push comes comes to shove, always always be prepared to give up some some equity. Um, however, um, it is an absolute art rather than a science um, valuing companies. Like it's completely yeah, ar arbitrary. Yeah, so if, if especially tech companies, I think <laughs> yeah. exactly. So I mean, so if some some mean old investor comes to you and says, "I'm I'm paying paying this price," they're making it up. Just know that and 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 fight your corner. Um, don't don't get taken advantage of because there is there is no or very little science uh, in these valuations. Good advice. And Seb, you've gone through that with your company anyway, haven't you, about trying to fund, yeah, be self-funding for quite a long, or not self-funding, but you know, external funding. I think funding there's a couple of bits too. So we, yeah, we, it's definitely not. And um, luckily uh, with our founder, we've got one of the best guys in, in the business because it's about understanding your market value, understanding the potential of it. So I think going back to all the points here, have a market, stick to it, and know how big it could get. You, the, the first time you do it, whether you set up a business before, it's still the first time you're doing this business. So you're always going to make mistakes and be comfortable with that. Always be comfortable that you can walk away from it in, in many ways because sunk costs is that will kill you. And I think when it comes to like talent or hiring, you know, these are all big decisions. So you know, you want to hire people that are different to you. you want to get advice from people that are different to you. There's no right or wrong, but you can make life easier for you if you if you listen. And I think one of the biggest mistakes is we've both mentioned it is you get fixated on this one journey and destination, and it, you know it might not be that. So I think knowing where you want to go within reasons but pretty healthy yeah and i think that's the other thing with um uh, new companies is about being agile enough with the staff you've got to actually be able to shift and move yeah. and it's actually those personal attributes and um some some of the skills but that can be applied anywhere was really important yeah great yeah. well thank you so much all three of you for joining us it's been fantastic to talk through mm. um and we've got another show coming up uh, next week, Dan, haven't we? We do indeed, yeah. So, um, but it's been great to talk to you, and thanks ever so much. Further information at Tech Talk Show UK. Speak to you later. Thanks to you all.